ADHD is one of the most common problems that pediatricians, pediatric neurologists, and pediatric psychiatrists manage. Most studies indicate that maybe between 6 and 8% of children in the United States have ADHD, and that's attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Approximately 74 million children live in the United States, and these studies all support the findings that ADHD affects approximately 5 million of them, and that doesn't include adults with ADHD. Because there is no medical test to definitively make a diagnosis, it's easy for critics to dismiss it as a disorder fabricated by doctors, teachers, and pharmacological companies to um, increase the payroll. Some parents blame themselves and react with guilt, believing that they should have raised their children differently or better. So when presented with a diagnosis, is it any wonder that parents might react with confusion, guilt, or denial? It doesn't matter how often ADHD occurs. What matters is what happens to your child. What matters is that a short attention span, distractibility, and impulsivity produce adverse consequences in childhood and as adults. Our guest today is Dr. Walt Karninski. Uh, he has 40 years of experience as a developmental pediatrician to address important concerns that parents have about the use of medication for the treatment of ADHD, explaining what medication can do for your child, what it cannot do, and how to use the medication in a safe way. Um, Dr. Kerniski trained at Boston Children's Hospital, and he has, for many years, 40 years, been actively engaged in the treatment of this type of patient. So uh, he might have he might have treated as many as 10,000 patients. So we're, we're very fortunate to have an expert uh, with these credentials on the program today. And Walt, it's nice to have you uh, on the program today. Well, thank you, Will. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, you know, I started practicing medicine 50 years ago, and back then, I don't remember having this diagnosis, ADHD, as one of the diagnoses that uh, was in my repertoire to treat, just like I don't remember having autism. Well, something happened back in 50 years to 40 years, somewhere in there, and then these diagnoses popped up, and they got more and more and more. I'm not exactly sure why. I've interviewed lots of people who've had different ideas, but what's your idea of why ADHD and autism are currently so popular? Well, I, I, I think the first thing I would say is that I'm not sure they are popular as much as they are dreaded. Uh, and uh, 
the difficulty making the diagnosis uh, has been probably the biggest impediment to people believing in it. Uh, in other words, what I mean by that, there is no diagnostic test for ADHD like there is for many other medical conditions. Uh, if you have leukemia, a doctor can take a sample of blood, uh, look, put it under a microscope, and within 10 minutes have the diagnosis clarified. But with ADHD, it often takes uh, many visits to the doctor, testing, uh, uh, other steps as well. And as a result, people question the validity of that, that diagnosis. Uh, about five years ago, I went to see my dermatologist, and he wasn't available. He was out of town. So they gave me a, a, his, a partner. She comes in and she looks at my chart and she says, oh, I understand you're a doctor. What kind of medicine do you practice? And I say ADHD. And uh, I mean, I'm a developmental pediatrician. I see children with ADHD and learning disabilities and anxiety and autism and other problems. She said, oh, ADHD, that's overdiagnosed, isn't it? And I looked at it and I said, let me answer your question by asking another question. What's the incidence of cancer, uh, skin cancer in uh, people over the age of 60? And she said, oh, that occurs quite frequently. About 40% of the population will get a diagnosis. And I said, oh, 40%? That seems like it's overdiagnosed. And she said, no, 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 it's not overdiagnosed. It's because people don't take care of their skin. They don't put sunscreen on. They don't, oh, wait a minute, I see what you're trying to do. And basically what I was trying to do was point out to her that the frequency of something, uh, how often it occurs, doesn't tell us anything about the validity of that diagnosis. So, so for, for example, uh, let's say you go home tonight and you find out that your friend across the street has leukemia. And you mention that to your wife and your wife says, oh, yes, but... Uh, Marjorie down the street also was diagnosed with leukemia. And then after talking a little bit, you find out that eight people on your street have been diagnosed with leukemia in the last month. What is your reaction? Would you initially go and say, uh, oh, it must be overdiagnosed? No, leukemia is not overdiagnosed. In this case, you'd be worried about the water uh, that you're getting into your house and the electrical lines that run behind the home. So ADHD is occurs frequently, and there's many different ways to demonstrate its validity, but just because it occurs frequently doesn't diminish the importance of it or the severity of the problem. Okay, so um, you brought up the fact that there are diagnoses that you can pinpoint with laboratory tests or x-rays or whatever like that. What uh, uh, criteria do you use before you put on a patient's chart this patient has ADHD? Uh, well, when I, when I see a child for the first time, and I know that that at least is a con question or a concern, I schedule an hour and a half to two hours for that visit. Um, during that time, the, the, uh, I'll ask the parents to come in and, and use, I, I strongly recommend that both parents come in and that they bring their child as well. And so I'll initially sit down and spend a half hour to 45 minutes talking to the parents and then another half hour to 45 minutes with the child. Uh, after, what, I'm, when I'm talking to the parents, what I'm trying to do 
is get an understanding of first what their concerns are, second, how those concerns have developed over time. Um, obviously, if the child is, has been hyperactive and impulsive and is having trouble paying attention only for the last two weeks, then we're probably not dealing with ADHD. But it takes me quite a while to get all of that information out and to make a diagnosis. I'll also do testing with a child, and at the end of an evaluation, I may actually say, I think there's a, an indication that this child may have ADHD or autism or a learning disability, but I'm not sure, and we need some additional information. And at that point, I'll ask my uh, psychologist to come in and do some testing with the child. Uh, all of this can take a number of weeks to process, and it can be frustrating for parents. Uh, but but this kind of an approach gives the parents the understanding that every possibility has been taken into account, as opposed to a pediatrician that might get five minutes of history from the family and learn that the child's hyperactive and having trouble in school, and then he writes a prescription and sends the child out the door. Fortunately, that doesn't happen much anymore, but it used to a lot in the past. Mm -hmm. um, so... Um... Parents think uh, hyperactivity uh, and uh, the other uh, symptoms that go along with this disease are common, and they believe most of the children that they know uh, are on medication. Um, how frequently do you think children should be on medication for this diagnosis? What type of medication is the best? And Run down the safety factors and some of the other concerns that you would have before putting a patient on medication. Okay, those are all great questions. Um, uh, let me see if I can get through them one by one by one. Um, first, first question: How um, when I when I see a child with um, ADHD, we have to remember that the behaviors that are being described as concerning to those parents and to that teacher um, and to the child himself, every one of the behaviors that are used to diagnose ADHD are normal behaviors in all children at some point or another. So every child forgets things once in a while. Every child has, it gets disorganized. Uh, every child loses things. Every child is active and hyperactive at times when they're excited. Uh, children have difficulty focusing their attention, and they're easily distracted. Every one of those symptoms are normal behaviors. So how can we say that we're dealing with a disorder? Well, the, 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 in, in order to make the diagnosis, I need an additional criteria. And that is I must demonstrate that not only are those behaviors present in a child, but that they are so frequent and severe that they're interfering with the child's ability to learn in the classroom or to develop social, appropriate social relationships uh, and many other uh, symptoms and behaviors as well. So the criteria not only is looking at a list of behaviors and saying a child has most or all of these behaviors, but also indicating that those behaviors uh, are serious enough and severe enough and frequent enough to interfere with a child's development. A third criteria is that we must demonstrate that this, those 
symptoms are not being caused by some other disorder. So, for instance, we'll rule out difficulties like hearing loss or vision loss or uh, migraine headaches or other things that could potentially cause some of those behaviors. And that's why uh, a physician really needs to be involved in that process to rule out other problems. So, uh, I'm assuming that you believe that uh, all children who have these symptoms, some of which might or might not indicate the disease, ought to be put through a rigorous workup before medication is prescribed. Absolutely. Okay. Now, let's say that the doctor in every particular case goes through all the things that you've talked about doing, comes to the conclusion that the child has ADHD, then should all of them be put on medication? If so, what kind? And uh, tell us about that. Um, well, to begin with, uh, I've seen a number of children in whom I've diagnosed a probable ADHD. But I've, after I've made the diagnosis to the parents, I've said, however, your child is extremely bright. Uh, uh, he's extremely dedicated to doing well in school. He wants to do well in school despite his difficulties. And for some, some, for some reason, he is still doing well in school. I've seen a number of children who we diagnosed with ADHD because the teachers were concerned about it, but the child was getting A's and B's in, in, in school. Uh, it wasn't until maybe the child entered fourth grade where teachers expect the child to, you know, they've been teaching children how to, how to read, and in fourth grade they do something different. They expect the children to read for a purpose and to gather information. Um, and, and so fourth grade becomes one of those years that uh, things become more difficult. Seventh and eighth grade are another uh, time in which that occurs. So some children may be able to compensate for their ADHD for a while. Uh, sometimes two or three years, sometimes is, is up, up till teenage years, uh, and and as a result, they seem to function well without medication. But as the workload increases, and as the demands increase, and as that child's ability to meet those demands diminishes as time goes on, then the diagnosis becomes more clear, and the need for treatment becomes more clear. Now, you might argue, why not start with a non-medication treatment first? And as a matter of fact, the American Academy of Pediatrics and other uh, psychiatric societies have recommended using non-medication treatments first. And those may include tutoring, uh, executive function training. Executive function is that ability to kind of focus and organize yourself. Uh, and there are tutors that will teach children how to do those things well. The problem is that most of the time when you're dealing with, with a true attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, the child will not respond very well to those treatments if they're not on medication. So there's three reasons why we are convinced that as physicians working with these children, why we have become convinced that medication is not only helpful 
but required in many cases. Um, the first reason is that every year across the world, approximately 350 studies are done on the medications used to treat ADHD. And almost every one of those studies demonstrate that, that the core symptoms of ADHD, the difficulties focusing, concentrating, paying attention, hyperactivity, impulsivity, distractibility, that every one of those behaviors respond to medication when the diagnosis is made with a high degree of confidence. So that's the first reason why we use medication. The second reason is if you look at what happens to children who become adults uh, and, and with continuing with, with their ADHD, we find that in just about every sphere, those adults who were diagnosed with ADHD as children are having major difficulties. So let me just give you a list of a few of these. Um, ADHD adults are more likely to have had traffic violations or more likely to have a suspended license. They're two to six times more likely to be in a car accident. If they're in a car accident, they're, they're more likely to have more damage done to the car because they get usually more serious accidents. They're less likely to have friends. They're le more likely to change jobs, switch jobs from one to another. They're more likely to get a poor performance um, rating on a job. They're, they're likely to become bankrupt. They uh, use credit cards more frequently. Every one of, in just about every behavior, I could go on and on. They're more likely to smoke early. They're more likely to use alcohol early. They're more likely to become addicted to um, uh, certain uh, medications and substances. Um, and all of this, the striking message here is that those studies demonstrate that children who have ADHD and are not treated are at risk. But what they've also found is that if those children were treated as children, then the problems that I just listed occur about the same degree as they do in other children who don't have ADHD. So basically what that's saying is that the research shows us that the initial behaviors improve, that hyperactivity, the distractibility, and impulsivity, but the future outcome of that child is far better if they were treated with medication than if they were not. Finally, I'll mention one final thing, and that is that parents often come to me after I've made the diagnosis and they will say, well, doctor, I understand that my child probably has ADHD. I've got it too and I take medication for it. And I, and I suspect that he would benefit from medication as well. But what happens when a child, he's six now, he, he's probably gonna be on this medication until he's 17. What happens when a child has been on these medications for 10 years? What does it do to the brain? And here's what the, what the stunning information is about that. Studies have, has, have been done in children who have ADHD with brain scans. And the brain scans demonstrate that there are three areas of the brain that are smaller in children with ADHD. But if those children are scanned again as adults, and once they reach 22, 23 years of age, and they're scanned again, if you look at those children in now adults in two different groups, one group, those were, that were treated with medication, and the second group, 
those that were not treated with medication. What they find is that the group that was not treated with medication continues to have smaller areas of the brain. And those areas of the brain are known to be effective in focusing attention and controlling activity levels and planning and organization. But those children who were treated with medication have normal size of those areas of the brain. In other words, those areas of the brain had shrunken because they were not being used. And now that they're being used, just like using a muscle, they have come back to their normal size. This is the first research that has indicated that there may be actual permanent changes in the brain from these medications. And that's not 100% yet, but there's a strong indication that that's the case and that the, the long-term changes are beneficial to the children, not harmful in any way. Well, you have um, been in this for decades. What have you found are the issues, if any, of safety of the medications and, and what medications are good? and what medications are bad. Okay. Um, there are, you know, one of the things about these medications in terms of, of side effects, every medication that we use has some side effects. Even over-the-counter medications can have side effects. And the ADHD medications also have side effects. But there's two important things to know about those side effects. The first is that none of the side effects are long-acting. Long in other words, they don't persist after the medication has been used. Second, none of the side effects are serious or life-threatening in any way. And so, yes, there are side effects, but they're mostly irritating um, more than serious. The most common side effects are a decrease in appetite, difficulty falling asleep, and uh, emotional lability or irritability. Um, however, each one of those side effects can not necessarily easily, but can be mitigated or decreased or even eliminated with proper attention to how the medication is prescribed. For example, uh, if, if you have a child on one of the, you've probably heard of the medication Ritalin. Ritalin is one of the first medications that was used to treat ADHD. It's a very effective medication, but it only lasts about three to four hours. So if you get that medication that's 8 o'clock in the morning, it's going to wear off by 11.30 or 12 o'clock. And then you give another dose of medication at 12, and that, that dose wears off at 3.30. And then the child, in bo both cases, was able to eat an appropriate lunch and dinner because the medications were wearing off at that point. However, in order to get a good coverage over time, we've, we've got longer-acting medications that last 8 to 10 hours, and a child doesn't have to go to the nurse's office to take a, a noon dose. On the other hand, that, that medication may increase side effects because it's at its peak effect at 11, 12 o'clock in the morning, and that's when the child's eating lunch and his appetite is decreased. The medication may still be active at 5 or 6 o'clock when the family's eating dinner, and that child may still have difficulty with appetite. So sometimes side effects do occur 
but in almost every case, adjusting the dosage or the time of the medication um, will decrease this or completely eliminate the side effects. Let me point out one final side effect that is concerning to most parents. Most parents are concerned that, a medi that a medications for treating ADHD will create zombies in their children, meaning that they don't interact with things. So let me tell you another story. I, I saw a 10-year-old boy brought uh, to the clinic by his mother. She was concerned about the diagnosis of ADHD, and indeed, he met every criteria. He was extremely hyperactive, extremely impulsive, um, and we started him on medication. I asked the mother to bring him back in two weeks so we could see how he was doing on his, on his medication. Well, she comes back in and she says, uh, I, I say, you know, how are things going? And she says, well, he's doing great in school. The teacher says he's getting A's in every subject. And he was getting B, B's, C's, and D's in subjects before the medication. So that's working fine. But at home, he's depressed. And I said, depressed? What do you mean? And she said, uh, uh, well, doctor, you know, he comes home now, and the first thing he does when he comes home, he goes to his room, picks out a book, and he sits in his room for two hours and reads. And I said, yes, and what is wrong with that? And then she looked at me like I was mad. She said, but doctor, he's never been like this before. He usually runs into the house, uh, runs up to the cat, kicks the cat, pulls the cat's tail, uh, starts uh, crawling under the table and knocks over a lamp. Uh, he's nothing like this on medication. And I said to her, if he had been born that way, that he wanted to read after school for two hours every night uh, and be on his, in his own room for two hours, would you be concerned? And she said, well, no, of course not. And I said, then what you're seeing is your child on medication without his ADHD. My, the message here is that sometimes parents get so used to living with a behavior that they assume that it is part of the child's personality. And if you treat with medication and eliminate those hyperactive, impulsive, and distractible behaviors, it changes the child's behavior and to some degree his personality. And yet we have to ask in, in ourselves in that situation, especially going back to the long-term outcomes, is that desirable? And that is the discussion that I will have with parents uh, frequently. In most cases, I do feel that it's desirable to treat with medication. In some cases, it, it's not necessary. And that's the whole process that goes on between the physician and the doctor and the patient himself. Would, uh, would you be interested in making an observation uh, about what type of medication that, generally speaking, uh, is the best in this case? Um, well, let me tell you why that's so difficult to answer. Uh, how many medications would you guess there are approved by the FDA to treat ADHD? Well, just take a guess. Well, I'm ignorant, but I'll say 30. Okay. Actually, you're just about right. There's 36 medications or stimulant medications that have been approved by 
the uh, FDA, and another 10 non-stimulant medications, so a total of 46 medications. The, of the first 36 medications, the stimulants, uh, the curious thing about this is that they only represent two actual medications. Two specific generic medications generate all 36 of those brand name medications. And how does that happen? Well, the drug companies can take a medication like Ritalin, which is methylphenidate, that lasts three hours, and they can put it into a capsule that lasts six hours. Or another drug company may put it into a capsule that lasts eight hours. Another drug company may put it into a skin patch that lasts 14 hours. Um, Another company may make an oral solution that is easier to swallow. Another company may make an orally dissolving tablet that is more easy to swallow. Um, so, So every one of these brand name medications are really all the same substance or one of two substance. And all that they are doing, the drug companies have changed the medication enough so that the FDA is required to approve that as a new medication. And, of course, if it's a brand-new medication, they're going to charge more for it. And so some medications may cost $15 a month. Other medications may cost $300 a month. And in all reality, they're the same medication. So to answer your question, it it really all depends on the individual child. If that child is having trouble swallowing a pill, well, I'm not going to give Concerta. Concerta is my first choice of medication usually because it lasts the longest and it has the smoothest smoothest onset and offset. And yet it's a big pill and a lot of children can't swallow it. So I might look at using an oral medication or a skin patch um, or other preparations. Um, so the, the the vast number of those medications, having 36 medications to treat ADHD, actually gives the physician the freedom to customize the dosage for each child and for each situation. Um, for instance, I the, the skin patches can sometimes last up to 24 hours, and and you might benefit by using that medication in a college student. So the college student has an 8 o'clock class, and then he studies after dinner from 7 till 11 with a group of friends, and then he may have a lab at 8 o'clock as well to do until 10, and he needs to be covered by that medication for 15 hours. The next day, he may be finished with his classes at 2 o'clock, and he takes his skin patch off, medication wears off in an hour, and he's back to his usual state again. So... The, all of these different preparations of medication have, are different depending on the different characteristics of each child. And that's why I cannot say to you this is, this is the single best medication for treating ADHD. It depends on the individual needs of that child and, and the individual idiosyncrasies of that child to help pick the right medication that is customized or tailorized for that child. Well, if you can put yourself in the position of a, a parent who has no pharmacological education, no medical education, and yet there are 36 different possibilities that might be given to their child and everything, um, 
how is that possible that they can come to any kind of scientific conclusion of whether or not what is being prescribed for them is right for them? You know, I mean, if you're talking about hypertension, there's many, many different antihypertensive drugs and everything. But, mm -hmm. but the patient doesn't know what this one's going to do or that one, or they're going to um, have some combination effect, positive or negative or whatever like that. I see the parents being in a quandary that I, I don't see how they can, can make a decision. Uh, it's an excellent point. Uh, I've got two answers to that question. Um, the first is, if, if a parent is feeling confused about the medication and confused about the options, the first thing he or she should do is talk to a, the physician, uh, not, not start trolling the Internet and trying to find out which medications are recommended, but talk to your physician first. Um, if you don't feel that you're getting all the answers from that physician, you might then look at consulting a specialist. Uh, either a child neurologist or a child psychiatrist or a developmental pediatrician like myself who specializes in the treatment of ADHD, and then ask those same questions to that person. A third thing that parents can do is purchase my book, um, which is entitled ADHD Medication, uh, Does It Work and Is It Safe? And in the book, I talk about the characteristics of each of the medications um, I, I have approximately one page for each medication, uh, each of those 36 medications, uh, and talks about the advantages and disadvantages of each. So I don't expect the parents to become experts in the same way that the physician is, but I do think that parents can do some reading to understand what their in, what their child, how their child compares to other children with a diagnosis, and then to find treatments that are appropriate. Now, what will usually happen is that a physician, once he makes the diagnosis of ADHD, uh, each physician may have his or her favorite medications, and they may start each child on that medication. But if side effects develop, then there's a whole process that we go through to minimize the side effects. And if we get to the point that we can't get rid of the side effects, then switching to a different medication is, is appropriate. Uh, sometimes the side effects are, occur because a medication wears off too rapidly, and putting a, a, on a medication that wears off more gradually is helpful. In other cases, the, the, a child may have trouble because it wears off too rapidly in the afternoon, and, and, and giving another medication that lasts longer into the evening to help with homework is going to help that child better. So most physicians will start with one or two or three different medications that they feel are appropriate for children and then change that dosage and change the timing of the medication or even change the medication depending on how each child reacts to it. So again, my, my response to that question is if you're, if you're having questions about the medications, talk to your doctor, schedule an appointment to meet with your doctor, him or her, uh, without the child, so you've got a few minutes to talk. Uh, if the child's an, an adolescent, I would bring the child in as well. And then the third thing is to read uh, information that does give it an explanation of what each of the medications do, how they're helpful, and how their side effects can be minimized. Well, I think the biggest takeaway from this interview today is 
if you're confused, uh, get a copy of Dr. Kroninsky's book, ADHD Medication. Does it work? Is it safe? And um, Walt, tell them how to get a copy of the book. Well, there's two ways you can get a copy of the book. The, uh, it's available through Amazon.com. Uh, the book has, has only been out since the end of May, so it is not yet available in bookstores, uh, but is available on Amazon.com. It's also available directly from the pub publisher. Uh, the publisher is uh, Roman and Littlefield, uh, and their website is R-O-W-M-A-N, Roman.com. And they they will uh, actually I've talked to a number of, of uh, people who have ordered it through their site and they've received the book in three days and uh, said that the response has been very good. That's so Amazon or Roman R O W M A N dot com. Right. Um, thanks uh, so much for being on the program today and explaining ADHD because we've got a lot of listeners out there. I don't have the foggiest idea of what it is, what to do about it, and uh, you brought a lot of wisdom into this conversation. And I really appreciate uh, you taking your time today to help us understand uh, the disease process. Thank you, Will. That's uh, very kind words. And I, I do have to say that this is a passion of mine. Uh, I realized very early on that this is a painful process for both parents and children themselves. And if I can do something to eliminate some of that pain and increase the probability that the child's going to be able to function according to his or her potential, then I've done my job. Absolutely. Well, let me get into wrapping this up. It's been a pleasure to have you listening to my show today. My sincerest desire is for you to get something from it that will make your life richer, fuller, and safer. And I am Reverend Wynn Henderson, M.D. As an ordained Christian minister and a retired medical doctor, I have a dual perspective to bring you content to solve problems in your life. This podcast is the longest-running, single-hosted, spiritually-based radio internet talk show in America. It's been on the air for over 24 years. I bring you information about the disease of addiction, about your purpose in life, and investigative reporting on truth just below the surface. My purpose in life is to spread the message that there is a cure for every addictive behavior. This is a spiritual cure, and the treatment program is profiled in my book, Freedom from Addiction 4, the final message. If you meet three simple criteria, everyone gets well. Now, I have three free resources where you can start your journey. The first is a link to this podcast. It's freedomfromaddiction.libson.com. Uh, no caps, no spaces, and spelling Libson. L-I-B as in boy, S-Y-N. The second is linked to my website where you can find out more about my work with addiction. Go to www.revwinhendersonmd.com. And the final resource is my Twitter account. Search at Hugo the Artist on Twitter.com. There you will find over 2,400 
inspirational and educational daily pearls of wisdom. And it's been a pleasure to present uh, this program to you today and Dr. Karninski. So, um, Walt, thank you for being on this on the show, and uh, we'll see you again, hopefully, in the future. Thank you, and appreciate it. I've enjoyed it.